welcome back to Endopod. If you're new here, hi, my name is Hepsi Xavier and I'm a third year medical student. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the condition of Graves' disease, a cause of hyperthyroidism. We'll look at the etiology, pathophysiology, clinical features and how it is diagnosed. We will also talk about the current treatment options and finish off with a bit of uh, long-term treatment outcomes for Graves' disease as well. Graves' disease is an autoimmune thyroid condition associated with hyperactivity of the thyroid gland due to it being excessively stimulated. It is the commonest cause of hyperthyroidism. The condition is caused by a combination of genetic and environmental factors, with the former having a greater contribution. Stronger, strong risk factors include a family history of autoimmune thyroid disease, female gender, and smoking. The mechanism underlying Graves' disease involves overstimulation of thyroid-stimulating hormone, or TSH, receptor in the thyroid gland, resulting in excessive production of thyroid hormone. The antibody usually responsible for this is called the TSH receptor antibody. However, other antibodies can also overstimulate the TSH receptor, such as the antithyroglobulin antibody or the antithyroid peroxidase antibody. As well as causing TH overproduction, the TSH receptor antibody also causes hypertrophy of the thyroid gland, which explains why a goiter is a clinical sign of Graves' disease and also causes hyperplasia of thyroid follicular cells, which are the cells responsible for producing and secreting the thyroid hormones T3 and T4. As mentioned previously, a goiter presents in Graves' disease, and this is usually a diffuse symmetrical enlargement of the thyroid gland without nodules. Although a goiter is a key diagnostic factor, it can manifest with other symptoms and signs, with further increase the likelihood of Graves' disease being the diagnosis. Other clinical features include heat intolerance, sweating, anxiety or irritability, tachycardia, palpitations, weight loss and fine tremor. Extrathyroidal clinical manifestations can also occur such as orbitopathy, dermopathy and acropathy with the latter two being less common. Orbitopathy is found in around 25% of patients with a diagnosis and is usually a mild manifestation. It may involve upper eyelid retraction, exophthalmos or proptosis where the eyes protrude outwards, chemosis where the conjunctiva becomes swollen and edematous or extraocular muscle involvement. Dermopathy usually manifests a slightly thickened, pigmented skin and swelling of both legs, usually in the pretubule area. This is suggestive of Graves' disease but not diagnostic. Acropathy refers to soft tissue swelling and clubbing of the fingers and toes. The underlying mechanism of extrathyroidal manifestations are less clear. However, the proposed theory states that antigen involved in these manifestations is the TSH receptor expressed in fibroblast cells of dermal tissues and orbital tissue posterior to the eyeball. When these fibroblast cells are stimulated, they produce glycosaminoglycans, which differentiate into fat cells. diagnosis of Graves' disease, the first-line investigation included measuring TSH which would be suppressed, serum-free or total T4 which would be elevated except in cases of T3 toxicosis or subclinical hyperthyroidism. 
and finally serum free or total T4 which would again be elevated, except in cases of subclinical hyperthyroidism again. To clarify what T3 to toxicosis is, this is a state in which some patients have a high level of T3 and low TSH, but a normal level of T4. A free T3 free T4 ratio may also be done as an initial investigation to help distinguish thyroiditis from Graves' disease if a radioiodine uptake test is contraindicated. A high free T3 to T4 ratio would suggest Graves' disease to be more likely than thyroiditis. Further investigation to confirm the diagnosis is testing for the TSH receptor antibody. If TSH receptor antibodies are tested negative, then the GP should refer, to, refer or discuss with an endocrinologist the need for specialist investigations. This is usually a thyroid isotope scan which helps distinguish different causes of hyperthyroidism. It would show a diffuse uptake in Graves' disease compared with patchy uptake in a nodular goiter. A specialist thyroid ultrasound scan may be carried out if nodules are suspected on examination or on thyroid isotope scanning. Baseline full blood count and liver function tests should be done if antithyroid drugs are to be commenced. Treatment-wise, there are three options for Graves' disease. These include antithyroid drug therapy, radioactive iodine or thyroid surgery. They are all first-line therapies depending on the patient. We'll first discuss antithyroid th drug therapy. Antithyroid drugs should only be started on specialist advice and are typically used medium-term with the aim of inducing remission. It's also used in those who have contraindications to radioactive iodine or surgery. For a newly diagnosed patient, antithyroid drugs are continued for 12 to 18 months. The first-line drug is carbamazole and second-line is propylthiouracil. The majority of patients become euthyroid after 4-8 to eight weeks of drug treatment. Once euthyroidism is achieved, there is option to continue drug treatment on either a titration block regime or a block and replace regime. For both strategies, there is around a 50% remission rate if treatment is continued for a time frame of 6-18 to 18 months. The titration block regime involves regularly adjusting the drug dosage based on free T4 measurements. The aim is to prescribe the lowest dose required to maintain the patient's euthyroidism. The block and replace regime involves administering carbimazole or propylthiouracil until the patient becomes euthyroid, then replacing this drug with levothyroxine. The dosage of levothyroxine may need adjusted to maintain free T4 levels in normal reference range. Another treatment option is radioactive iodine, which is used both as first-line therapy or after failure of antithyroid drugs or surgery. The aim is to destroy thyroid tissue and allow thyroxine replacement therapy to be commenced. The majority of patients become euthyroid and then hypothyroid within 6 weeks to 6 months following the end of radioactive iodine treatment. This form of therapy is contraindicated in pregnant or breastfeeding women, women planning to become pregnant in the next 4-6 to six months, and those with active or severe orbitopathy, as radioiodine radio has been found to worsen it. After treatment with radioiodine, patients must follow, must follow special protection measures such as avoiding close contact with children and pregnant women for around 3 weeks. Last but not least, there is the option of thyroid surgery followed by thyroxine replacement therapy. Surgery may be preferred in the following circumstances. Women planning to become pregnant within 6 months, 
compression symptoms from a large goiter, low uptake of radioactive iodine, or documented or suspected thyroid malignancy. Preoperatively, patients are prepared with antithyroid drugs to attempt to achieve euthyroidism, as this, this decreases the risk of thyrotoxic crisis that may result from the surgery. Total or near-total thyroidectomy is preferred as it prevents recurrence of hyperthyroidism. Efficacy of each of these treatments is well known, however less is known about the long-term outcomes of each treatment modality. A recent study published in 2019 looked into the long-term outcome data for the three different treatment modalities by following up a cohort of around 2,400 patients for eight years after diagnosis. However, only 60% of this cohort were available at follow-up. The remission rate for those treated with antithyroid drugs was 45.3%. Radioactive iodine therapy was 81.5% and surgery was 96.3%. It was also noted that if the antithyroid drug treated patients experienced disease recurrence and underwent another round of drug therapy, the remission, the remission rate was even less. In addition to this, patients initially treated with antithyroid drugs had around a 50% risk of having undergone additional radioactive iodine or surgery by the follow-up appointment. This is not favourable for patients as additional treatments bring the risk of further side effects or complications. Therefore, treatment for Graves has unpredicted long-term outcomes for a number of patients. So, in this episode we looked at Graves' disease in quite a bit of detail. If this is the first time you're hearing about it, I hope you've learned a thing or two. If you've already learned about it in the past, then I hope this has been good revision for you. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please follow us on our social media to keep up with everything we do. And if you have any requests, then absolutely let us know. And as always, we're very grateful for the support. Before I go, I want to say a big thank you to Human Ho for contributing to this episode. As always, stay safe and happy. This is Hepsi Xavier, signing off. Disclaimer. Aberdeen University Endocrinology Society is a student-led organisation and the content provided through Endopod is solely for informative purposes. This does not replace advice of a doctor or any other healthcare professional. The medical students involved in the making of this episode are in the third year of their medical studies. All the information provided in this episode was researched on appropriate resources. For references, please see the episode description. Thank you.